0: Hey, it's Luke Burbank, and this is Livewire Radio. We're backstage, again. we've got an amazing show coming up. We've got Maz Jabrani here from Wait Wait Don't Tell Me. Also, Edna Vasquez will favor us with some amazing music. And we've got this lady, Lindy West from GQ and Jezebel, and most recently, This American Life. Hi, Luke. We're talking about commitment this hour. What is the biggest commitment you've ever made in your life that you've regretted?
1: Uh, I dyed my hair black once in college blue black like it was like black with a blue sheen my self-esteem was not doing great anyway in college already and then um you know i was really stepping outside my box and i was gonna you know reinvent myself as like a cool goth (laughs) (laughs) i mean i wasn't even goth i didn't even have that i was just like a weirdo with bad hair
0: so your advice to the kids out there in the world who are struggling with that same kind of stuff is trust your fears
1: (laughs) yeah all your insecurities are are true
0: (laughs) good it's gonna be a message of hope tonight from PRI,
2: Public Radio International, it's... Live Wire! Recorded in front of a live audience at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon, it's Live Wire. With stand-up comic Maz Jobrani, cultural critic Lindy West, music from Edna Vasquez, and our fabulous house band... And now, the host of Live Wire, a man so committed he still may be going steady, with Genie O'Neill from the ninth grade, Luke Burbank!
0: Wow, all right. This is our first show ever here in Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon. It's very exciting. Our theme uh, for this hour is committed. I will tell you that if there's really one person in this country who truly embodies the notion of being committed, it's probably Charles Manson, (laughs) who's literally involuntarily committed to jail for a very long time. He was in the news this week because he broke off an engagement to a 27-year-old woman who wanted to marry him. And she had been dating him since she was 19 years old. Which means for eight years this woman was trying to make this relationship work. (laughs) To no avail. I don't know how your love life is going this week, but I can tell you what didn't happen to you. Charles Manson (laughs) did not sit down across a bulletproof glass from you. And pick up the prison phone and say, I can do better. (laughs) So that's something to be excited about, whatever's going on uh, with you. The uh, New York Post, which I have right here, uh, describes why the relationship fell apart. Uh, This is a quote. Because it came to light that Manson's fiance only wanted to marry him to gain possession of his corpse, which she planned to display in a glass crypt in order to make money. In fairness, who hasn't been through that? Listen, like most breakups, there is plenty of blame to go around, okay? Charles Manson is 80 years old. He has been single for a long time at this point. And you know when you're single for too long, you can't really make room in your life for other people. And you get very set in your ways, you have your ideas. Uh, This also from the New York Post. Manson balked at the idea of her having his corpse because among other things, he believes he is immortal. (laughs) And therefore feels it's a stupid idea to begin with. To which I say, touche, Manson. (laughs) Look, commitment is really hard. Relationships are hard. They fall apart for all kinds of different reasons. Sometimes you saw somebody hotter on Tinder. (laughs) Sometimes you just sort of grew apart and you fall out of love slowly. Sometimes your betrothed was secretly planning on displaying your corpse in order to get rich. (laughs) It could be anything, you guys. But for us, it's not the third thing I said. And that is why I think we're going to have a great show. All right, let's talk about commitment, you guys. All right, one of my weekly obsessions is the uh, modern love column in the New York Times. Uh, And I know you might have seen this uh, a little while ago. A woman named Mandy Lynn Catron, she wrote this piece called To Fall in Love with Anyone, Do This. And the basic idea is that they've got these 36 questions, and if two complete strangers ask each other these 36 questions, they will fall in love. Probably. (laughs) The guy who made the list, he's a uh, psychology professor, and what he found is that if you create sustained, escalating, reciprocal, personal self-disclosure, two strangers (laughs) can fast-forward right through all of the getting to know each other part and skip right to the falling in love part of the relationship. And the woman who wrote the essay in the New York Times, she did this, and it totally worked for her. So tonight, since our theme is committed, we thought we would test it out on two actual strangers. Please welcome Jed Arkley and Katie Watkins to LiveWire. Hi, Jed. Hello. Hey, Luke. Hi, Katie. Hey. Um, We got you guys started on this Question quest a little earlier. This is just for time concerns, right? So you guys have already done some of the questions Yeah, we've got through about like 20 20, yeah, 20 22 of them. Yeah, okay um, for, uh, I should also ask are you guys both single? Yes,
3: yes <laughs> I am.
0: Okay, and are you guys ready to mingle is also an important question Have you guys ever let me ask it this way? <laughs> You guys have never been on a, on a date before, right? This is not a setup that we're doing where you're actually already married and, and this is, this is not a put on, this is really happening, right?
4: Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Okay. We've never been on a date.
0: Okay. What, uh, what question has been the most illuminating so far, do you think?
4: Um, I think the one, the the question that we both had a, a, a weirdly similar answer to was, uh, uh, How did we think we were going to die?
3: Yeah, I thought of that, too. Yeah. Yeah.
4: What did you guys say?
3: (laughs) Cars are really dangerous. So...
4: (laughs) It was a car wreck. We both thought we'd die in horrible car accidents. I
3: I have been known to text while driving, which I'm not going to do anymore, ever. (laughs) So that makes me nervous. Yeah.
0: Do you guys know that part of this 36-question procedure is that you also, and I mean this seriously... There's a part where you have to stare into each other's eyes for four minutes.
4: <laughs> we heard about that.
3: <laughs> I didn't know that until right when I got here. That's
0: why we didn't tell you <laughs> before I we know. set this up. <laughs> does this, even 20 questions into it, does this feel different to you than other conventional dates you've been on?
4: Yeah. I At, mean, yeah. It's, it's intense. It, it really, uh, you start revealing things that you you might not reveal until like date five or six or ever. Yeah. <laughs> Okay,
0: so you guys have about 16 more questions, and then there's the four minutes of staring into each other's eyes. We need you to go backstage, take care of that. <laughs> We're going to have you back at the end of the show to find out if you have fallen in love, okay? <laughs> okay. Jed and Katie, everybody.
4: Thank you. <laughs> All
0: right, if you have been on a date or to a party in the last four months, if you weren't asking the 36 questions of love, you were probably talking about the podcast Serial, right? <laughs> uh, the show, of course, was a spin-off of This American Life. It followed the case of a real-life man named Adnan Syed, who back in 1999 was convicted of killing his high school girlfriend, crime he says he didn't do. Serial tried to get to the bottom of things, and uh, the show set all kinds of podcast records. It touched off a national conversation about the judicial system and race and uh, journalism, and it made Serial's host Sarah Koenig sort of a household name at least in households that recycle their grocery bags and probably have gluten allergies. (laughs) Those households. Anyway, joining us by phone to talk about all of it is Sarah Koenig herself. Sarah, welcome to LiveWire. Hello. Well, thank you for doing this. I know it's late where you are.
5: It is late. My husband is snoring right now.
0: Are you actually in bed next to your sleeping husband doing this interview?
5: Yeah, I am. <laughs>
0: he is a keeper.
5: I know. We had a date tonight. It was very exciting. What did you guys do? Uh, well, we started out by hitting the babysitter's car by accident with our car. <laughs> and then we went to, We were going to go see a movie, like the one movie that we vaguely wanted to see that's playing in town. And then we got there, and it wasn't actually playing. And so we had to see this really uplifting movie for our Valentine's Day called American Sniper. Um, And then the guy, like they, they, it was cheap though. It was like only $14 for two of us. And so then we looked at our tickers and it said senior, like they gave us the senior rate. And, and uh, And my husband was like, well you do look a little bit like a granny tonight. Like I wonder if you really thought
0: See? Uh, Romance but, is not dead.
5: Yeah, I know, I know, But then I asked, like, and then I went up to the ticket guy, and I was like, um, the seniors, you didn't, is that because you think we're seniors? And he was like, no, no, I just felt sorry for you that you had to see this movie you didn't want to see.
0: It's interesting, Sarah, because it sounds like you had, you know, a lot of stuff going on today, and it's like you're telling me stuff about it, and I'm just trying to make sense of all of it, and see how it all fits together. <laughs> and I feel like there are a lot of holes in this date night. Very
5: funny. Very funny. Okay, let me...
0: <laughs> let me ask you, based on that terrible joke I just made, a, a question about the the reaction to the show Serial and the way that it's changed your life. And also a, th- a thing that I've wondered about, which is that this show became so popular that... We, the rest of the world, we gossip about it. We make jokes about the characters. It's like it's a fictional thing, and yet these are real people with real lives. Uh, how do you, you know, how do you deal with the pop culture phenomenon that this thing has become?
5: I try not to engage with it um, on that level, you know, I, I, because I just can't. Uh, for two reasons: one, I don't want to. I mean, I don't think of them as, you know, quote unquote characters. I think of them <laughs> as like people. I've spoken to and um, feel a responsibility toward, and, and also just because it would be re- irresponsible for me to engage with it on that level. Anyway, I mean, I'm the reporter.
0: Right. But when you see, like, you know, when Saturday Night Live does a sketch about you and the show, does part of you feel like that was not what we were trying to go for here with this story?
5: That was not what we were trying to go for
3: here with this story.
0: Uh, before we uh, uh, before we actually uh, got you on the show Sarah you and I were, were emailing back and forth about this and and you said the one thing is you didn't want to talk specifically about the sort of central characters in the story serial and I think I understand why that is because it seems that now that the story has been it's been played out anything you say becomes news basically related to someone 's guilt or innocence or who knew what when I mean is this a thing that you have stopped talking about because you don't want to constantly keep the news going?
5: I mean, it's not so much news going. I mean, I I don't think anything I say should or necessarily would become news. It's more like, you know, it's funny. The the tone of the podcast, I think, is very casual, which is just the way that um, I know how to do radio. It's just like the way that I do my stories. But... But I think what that belies, like what people don't totally understand, is like every word we've said was so carefully weighed for a million different things and and primarily accuracy. And so I just like, I have a real fear of just kind of talking out of my ass, you know, about something that is incredibly serious, That's That's our
0: job on Livewire.
5: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I leave that to you.
0: Speaking the the theme of our show, I don't know if you've heard, sometimes radio shows will pick a theme and talk about a variety of topics <laughs> on a theme. Um, it's kind of a new thing we came up with. Uh, yeah, our, clever. Our theme this hour is, uh, is committed. Speaking of commitment, how many hours did you and the other producers put into uh, creating the first season of Serial? Oh,
5: my God. I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I mean, I... I started working on it full-time in January, so a year, more than a year ago, Um, and I was intermittently working on it from the previous summer, and
6: then the past
5: four months, like while the thing was going on, we were working like seven days a week, God knows how many hours a day, it was horrible, I don't know, a ton of time, a ton of
0: time. Did you ever consider not doing season two of Serial because of just how this overwhelmed your life?
5: Um, yeah, I consider that every day.
0: You're still considering it. <laughs>
5: yeah, I mean, I, I have to because um, we asked everyone for money and they gave it to us, so now I got to do <laughs> But um, but yeah, I'm a little tired. No, I'm I'm good now. No, now I'm psyched. I'm 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 looking forward to finding a story and and doing it again. We don't have a story yet, though.
0: You don't, because that was going to be my last question, which I feel like I'm you know, obligated to ask, even though it's annoying, which is, do you even have any ideas uh, about what you guys might do for Serial 2?
5: We do have ideas.
0: Would you like to talk about those on this show? I would not. Okay. That's fair. Sarah Koenig, ladies and gentlemen, host of Serial. Thanks, Sarah.
5: Oh, pleasure.
0: I'm leaving this theater and going directly to see American Sniper in Sarah's honor. You're listening to Livewire Radio, the radio show that is totally committed to our fear of commitment. It's not you. It's us. You just deserve to be happy with a different radio show. That's all we're saying. This is getting weird. Um, we'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by ErgoDepot.com, who are not kidding around when it comes to making you healthier. There are healthier ways to sit, and they've got them all. Sit stand seating, saddle seats, kneeling chairs. If you've got to sit, shouldn't you sit healthier? We sure think so. Find out more by visiting ErgoDepot.com. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRI, Public Radio International. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. Uh, This week we're talking about commitment, and our next guest has been totally committed to standing up against the harassment of women online, uh, which means that she gets harassed online maybe more than any other woman on the planet. Lindy West has written for Jezebel, The Guardian, and GQ. She was also just awarded most important social critic who often types in all caps about Game of Thrones, please welcome Lindy West to Live Wire.
1: Hi, Luke. How are you? Hi, audience. Uh, I'm great. How are you?
0: I am uh, doing well. I'm, I'm really happy you're here. Like many people in America, I was listening to your recent this American life piece, uh, and crying a little bit uh, as I uh, heard you talk to a internet troll who had created a fake Twitter account based around your deceased father
1: yeah, it was pretty cool uh,
0: <laughs> was that was that cathartic for you to talk to him, or, or was it just bringing up a lot of old feelings because you also cried during the piece i don 't know if you 're aware
1: I did cry. Um, Yes, I did. Thank you for reminding me. Um, no, it was uh, it was I guess it was cathartic. yeah, I mean, it, it was satisfying. It does feel kind of a long time ago, though, like when we actually had that interaction, so mostly, it was just fascinating to get to talk to this person who kind of feels like an alien, like who does that? Um, what kind of a human being does that, and what has gone wrong inside of them? Um,
0: but then he, as you pointed out in, in the piece he sort of sounded like an okay guy as far as people who create Twitter accounts based around your dead dad go. He sounds like an okay guy. Yeah,
1: he's in, like, top 10%, I would say. But really and truly, you
0: humanized him. And at the end, I felt like, well, this is a broken person who did some bad stuff. And not like it's my job to forgive him, but I kind of felt like, yeah, he seemed like an okay guy. But is that the message you ought to be sending about internet trolls?
1: No, it's actually definitely not. I mean, I want... I, I want to send the message that all of these people are humans because I think it's important to remember that human beings do terrible things. And it almost absolves them of, of responsibility if you just think of them as a monster. You know what I mean? But I am certainly not trying to send the message that everyone needs to forgive uh, and you know hold hands with people who abuse and terrorize them. Um, but I do think it's valuable. Um, even just... It, it, it's changed the the tone of my interactions with people who harass me now because I've sort of set up this framework where, okay, you can do this, but I've already proven that you are a pathetic, sad um, shell of a creature. You know what I mean? Because the the piece is very... um, He's very vulnerable, and he's like, I hated hated myself, and I was lonely, and no one loved me, and... um, I was miserable, so now that's out there in the world. If people come at me, well, sorry.
0: Right. You like, just forward them the link from the This American Life yeah. website.
1: <laughs> this is you. Ha <laughs> ha! I tricked you. <laughs> like it's 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 like it's just reframed all of those um, all those interactions in, in a way that I win.
0: I I was wondering if you remember uh, if you remember a night I don't know like maybe five years ago you and I were at a restaurant on Capitol Hill. And you had just written, I think it was a really hilarious kind of takedown of the Sex in the City movie. And your Twitter account was, it was like a jackpot that was on like all cherries. It just, you just kept adding followers and like, you know, people were retweeting you and you and I were sitting there and you were just like, holy crap, like it was really exciting. Could you have ever known that most of those people would be nightmare humans? <laughs>
1: no idea. That was definitely the first time I went viral or the first time that I got any kind of national attention. And at the time, it was very exciting. And little did I know that it was just going to be a steady like IV drip of poison into my heart. But I'm glad you were there. I don't remember.
0: That was the well, we, we ended up drinking a lot that yeah, night. I, so <laughs> I don't blame you. But um, it, it was just weird to be there before you were so entrenched now in, in I guess, you could say fighting uh, the good fight. I don't know, though. Sometimes, and I'm, I'm saying this not as a person trying to host a radio show here. I'm saying this as your actual friend. Sometimes I get up in the morning and I turn on my computer or my phone or whatever. I actually have a phone that's like a computer, not to brag. <laughs> and I will just... It'll be like 8 in the morning and I'll see that you've been up for five hours just battling people. And I feel I like we're in a foxhole and... I'm just, like, smoking cigarettes and hunker down looking at pictures of my girl, and you're just, like, up, grabbing grenades, throwing them, like, with your whole upper part exposed. I just feel like, is this bad
1: for you? Yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. I need to... I really... I, I need to stop. I don't think... Uh, I, I've, I'm very uh, appreciative that you have um, framed this as something brave, <laughs> but I think it might be now just kind of an obsession that I should probably uh, move away from. <laughs> But it's like, it's so hard when, you know, you... You know, I feel like I've set these ethical boundaries in my life. Like, I, you know, I stand up for marginalized people and I, I speak out for women and I try to help other women find their voice. And so when people are are being garbage, toilet people on the internet, I feel like I made a commitment to, to, you know, fight them. So...
0: <laughs> yeah, but...
1: But, yeah. I'm not sure that my brain... My brain is going to thank me in the long run.
0: <laughs> or your heart, right? I know. I, I feel know. like you need to have a, like a Green Lantern moment where you give the ring uh, to somebody else totally. right before you die. Does that do happen you want in Green Lantern?
1: I think so, right?
0: The cartoon version, that's how it happened. I don't know if that was in the real story. But... I only
1: saw the movie, which was the most confusing thing I've ever seen in my life.
0: I feel like you need to, have you identified some people that you can pass the torch to so you're not like... 80 years old on whatever a computer is then? I mean, what are you doing?
1: I hear you have a fancy computer that's also a phone, (laughs) Luke. We could do kind of a job interview if you want. I brought some internet comments that people... uh, Well, some of them are internet comments that people have said to me, and some of them are internet comments that I made up, and I was wondering if you could tell... Which is which?
0: Okay, I'll give it a shot. Are you ready? I will. By the way, this is Livewire Radio. In case you're just tuning in, we've got Lindy West here from uh, GQ and many other places about to, um, about to give a little quiz here. Okay, let's, let's hear these.
1: Okay. You're fat, and all men hate you. Eat some broccoli, bye-bye. <laughs> Real or fake?
0: It feels like nobody would ever write that with that little creativity, which makes me think it's real.
1: Real. It's real. <laughs> okay. Uh, don't be mad at the world just because you have a circle-shaped body.
0: <laughs> that makes me think of those, the kids' book where they're teaching <laughs> <Don't> you shapes. <laughs> okay. Like a circle standing next to a triangle with just little that feet works. on them. Uh, I'm going to hope that that's real.
1: It is real. That is real. Okay. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Only because I don't want you to have internalized this so much that you're able to write burns <laughs> like that on yourself. I don't feel good for you if you can.
1: not <sighs> You owe your existence to the degradation of men. You will use everything from medical science, eugenics, and psychology to justify your claims and position that all men are inferior to women. The coming backlash and war will bring all of these issues to the table. Remember, no one believed that the two towers
0: could fall down too. (laughs) That one is real because I wrote it. I was going through a really dark time. <laughs> and, a, and a big Lord of the Rings face. <laughs> yes. I, I really and truly, as you've already pointed out, this is not okay for people to treat other people this way. There should be more love in the world and less hate. Do you ever have, though, like a game-recognized game moment when someone just writes a sick burn? Yeah.
1: I actually, I really thought, don't, like, don't take your anger out on the world just because you have a circle-shaped body. It was so funny. Um also, the other day, someone wrote something really mean on a YouTube video that I made, and then they, and then they commented on their own comment, and they said, also, bad voice. <laughs> and I was like, all right, fair enough. I, I mean, I'd never gotten that before. It's always nice when they think outside the box a little bit, you know, or the circle.
0: <laughs> Lindy West, ladies and gentlemen. That's how we'll end it. That right there, that was Lindy West, and you are listening to LiveWire Radio, coming to you from our new home at Revolution Hall in Portland. Hey, if you're going to be in Portland on Saturday, February 28th, you have got to come by and check out a live taping of LiveWire. From the beautiful new Revolution Hall. Uh, we've got Daniel Handler, creator of the Lemony Snicket books there, also writers David Shields and Caleb Powell, plus Mary Pilon with her book about Monopoly, all of the intrigue that went into the creation of that game, plus Martin Starr from Party Down and Freaks and Geeks, and music from Lucky Peterson. It's going to be an unforgettable night. Get your tickets at LiveWireRadio.org. Our musical guest tonight is Edna Vasquez. She arrived here in the US at age 17, where she quickly went from playing quinceaneras to TV appearances and opening for some of the country's most beloved indie bands. Her most recent CD is Ser Abstracto. Please welcome Edna Vasquez to Live Wire.
6: Porque me iba a perder. Tal vez fue esa luz de tu corazón la que me dio la paz y el cielo alumbró. Me robaste el corazón.
0: Vasquez right here on Livewire. Her new record is Sir Abstracto. Livewire is brought to you in part by New Belgium Brewing this week featuring Portage Porter, a warm toasty porter with chocolate aromas and a deep brown hue that tells the world, yes, I can handle a dark beer because I am a person of substance. (laughs) And yes, that is also hot wing sauce on my face because I contain multitudes. More information at newbelgium.com. Maz Jobrani is a stand-up comic and founding member of the Axis of Evil comedy tour. After two Showtime specials and a three-million-hit TED Talk, after that didn't stop him from being offered roles as a terrorist in film and TV, he decided to finance, write, and direct his own film, Jimmy Vestwood, American Hero... His latest book, "I'm Not a Terrorist," but I've played one on TV, covers important subjects like how to properly be killed by Chuck Norris, <laughs> and how one becomes the Persian Elvis. Please welcome Maz Jobrani to Live Wire.
2: Go Portland! Here we go! Hey Portland! Live wire! Here we go! Luke Burbank! Go Portland! Uh, uh. Okay, that's it. That. That's all I got. That's all I got. I'm, I'm getting old. I can't, I can't dance too long. I, I get tired. I need Advil. Uh, this is cool, guys. I'm excited to be here. Um, in Portland. I live in L.A. I flew up here to Portland, and you guys, this is a great place. Give it up for yourselves. Portland, I love you guys. Um, but I, but when you go to eat, there's a lot of waiting, uh, a lot of lines. Someone said, go to Toro Bravo, and I went, and I said, I want to eat. and They said, no problem. It'll be an hour and a half. And they said, but there's a bar next door. You can get a drink. So I went to get a drink, and they go, it'll be about 45 minutes for the drink. But we got a bathroom. You can use the bathroom for... Uh, yeah. So I, I live in L.A. I'm actually... I'm originally from Iran. Um, thank you. Um, LAUGHTER yeah, not a lot of Iranians in Portland. <laughs> kind of weird. <laughs> Are there any Iranians here? Any Any at all? No. Okay, I didn't think so. Um, a lot of white people. A lot of white people in Portland. Yeah. Not even that many black people. I saw three black people. They were lost. Um, they were like, how do I get to L.A.? I go, come with me. We'll take you. Uh, I actually I actually grew up in Northern California. A lot of my friends were white guys growing up. Like, I, I had friends like uh, like Sam and Brett and Jesse and Ryan and... Yeah, I became very Americanized. I did. Like, I have a 401K. I have a 401K. Um, That's very Americanized because a lot of immigrants don't have 401Ks, okay? Because a lot of immigrants, we come from, like, wars and revolutions. We don't believe in putting your money in the bank for retirement at 65 because we're afraid that another revolution will happen before you get there. A lot of immigrants don't even know what a 401K is. I told my mom I had a 401K. She had no idea. She thought it was a new Mercedes, She's like, are you going to lease it or buy it? Which one is the... My aunt was there. She's like, don't be as stupid. He's running a 401k race. That's a long... <laughs> That's... It's a long way to go for breast cancer, Moss. <laughs> 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 Immigrant... My, my mom, when, when she found out what a 401k was, she's like, you put your money in the bank for when you're 65? Ooh, You idiot. You know how many revolution is going to happen in America by the time you're 65? Maz, you're not supposed to put the money in the bank. You keep the money kelos, so when the revolution happens, you can put it in your 401k Mercedes and drive to Argentina. <laughs> yeah, here's an immigrant parent's advice on what to do with your money. Maz, keep it kelos, okay? Keep it under the mattress. Keep it in the wall. Put it under the carpet. Do like your grandmother. Put it in your bra, like your grandmother... <laughs> My grandmother used to put all her money in her bra. We thought she was a (laughs) D-cup. I swear, till one day we went to buy a house. She pulled the down payment out of her bra. We're like, Grandma, you're an (laughs) A-cup. Oh, my God, your grandpa. (laughs) She's been missing since, you (laughs) guys. I'll tell you, anyway, if you guys have any immigrant friends, ask them. Like, the pro- it's not even about like, the language. It's about the culture. Like, I had to explain to my parents how the culture worked, okay? Because a lot of people that come from immigrant backgrounds, we don't have as many rules and regulations as we do in the U.S. Like, for example, even with like, movie rating systems, okay, G, PG, PG-13, like a lot of countries don't pay attention to that stuff. Like to this day, when I do shows at like a comedy club, I'll leave the last show of the weekend. I'll say PG-13 because there might be some cussing in the show. And inevitably, when I announce that, the Americans who've been here a long time will bring their 13-year-olds. The Middle Easterners bring their six-year-olds. I was doing a show this Persian guy showed up with a six. I go, "Dude, what part of PG-13 don't you understand? There might be some cussing in the show." He goes, Maz, don't worry. I cuss at him all the time. <laughs> That's why I bring him so you can cuss at him too.) <laughs> He is a big disappointment. Six years old, not a doctor. Can you believe that? (laughs) I'm gonna send them back to Iran. My parents didn't understand PG, parental guidance. My dad thought parental guidance meant that you get to drop your kid off at the movie. And the movie gives them parental guidance for two hours (laughs) while you go shopping for furs and chandeliers. When I was six, I came to America. They didn't know, when I was eight years old, they dropped me off at the exorcist. They, had, they thought it was a movie about exercising. They came to get me. I was like, ah! My dad turned to my mom. This vimp is as scared of exercising. Go back inside and watch some more. You keep watching till you're no longer scared of exercising. We are going to go buy some more furs and chandeliers. That's the other thing I'll tell you right now, Portland. Immigrants love their chandeliers. I've been doing a research. I don't care where they're from. Immigrants, I'll tell you how much Persians love their chandeliers, Okay. I know Iranians who when they left Iran they shipped their chandeliers from Iran to America in first class and they made their kids escape over the Afghan mountains <laughs> like well I have one ticket we know who's gonna get that the light of my life <laughs> that's my time guys thank you very much Live Livewire Luke Maz Luke Burbank Maz Soprani. Look.
0: We have to... Um, I want to talk about your book in a minute, <laughs> but, but first I want to ask you, because the theme of this hour is committed, and you committed to doing something that's pretty insane, which is that you made your own film, Jimmy Vestwood, which you wrote kind of uh, directed, financed, right? You did all of this?
2: I will take the director credit, even though I didn't direct it. Um, uh, There was actually a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Kesselman who had done a movie called The Hebrew Hammer. He directed it. Oh, sure. Yeah, So, uh, but I I co-produced. He's
0: really covering his bases in the sort of Jewish-Arab conflict.
2: Listen, man, it's all about peace, baby. I mean, uh, every morning we come on set and just hug it out. That's good. Every morning, I don't hate you. You don't hate me, and uh, it was great. And uh, um, until I brought uh, cousin Ahmadinejad to the to the, he is a downer. <laughs> but but you, <laughs> he he looked at the director. Goes you don't exist. I go don't say that. <laughs> Recognize him. It was really, it was a weird moment. Very weird. Yes.
0: This audience knows much more about Ahmadinejad's <laughs> yeah. comings and goings than I do.
2: Well, you know, he's, he's gone now. He's gone. I mean, right. he's there, but he's gone. But for a while, <laughs> he was kind of an embarrassment. You know, this is what it is, Luke. I'll tell you, and I'll get to the movie in a second. But I, um, being, uh, you know, born in Iran and growing up in America, it's like, I've, I've, dude, I, I talk about this a lot on stage. It's like, you know, if you're British, you got James Bond, right? I mean, uh, and if you're Iranian, it was like Ayatollah. <laughs> he's just not sexy,
0: Although that beard would be very in style in Portland right now. You're
2: right. I've seen a few Ayatollahs walking around here, guys. <laughs>
0: I've seen it described as Prohibition cosplay in this city. Everybody's just <laughs> brewing some kind of artisanal something uh, somewhere. But you and I have been on uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me together a number of times. And when the movie was was coming out, you were telling me about all of the... Moments where, like, you show up at the beach and they have the wrong kind of prop and you're looking around for, like, who's in charge and you realize, like, you're in charge. Oh,
2: Luke. You know what it is? It's like I have, the, I have such respect for filmmakers and especially independent filmmaking. Like, we didn't have much of a budget. So our um, props department, you know, usually if you have a big budget, props department gets involved, like, you know, a couple months in advance. Well, ours got involved, like, a week in advance. And we had a meeting, and I thought they understood what I said when I said, listen, my character is going to come out on the beach, and he's going to have a huge beach ball that he will be hidden behind, and all we see are his legs. And the guy goes, I got it. And then I showed up the day of, and I was parking in the beach at the parking lot, and I looked down, and there was this, like, very small see-through beach ball. (laughs) I couldn't even hide, like, you know, my torso behind and they were there, and I go, oh, maybe that's just the prop beach ball that they're using to get the lighting right. So I walk down, I go, hey, what, what's this? And the, and the guy goes, this is, this is the beach ball. I go, no, I, t- I told you it's got to be big. And he goes, oh, I couldn't find one. I go, well, you could have told me the day before. So basically it was the situation, because you sit there, and they go, I go, well, what, it was like 7 a.m. on a Sunday. I go, is there a beach ball? St- There's got to be a beach ball store. What time do beach ball stores open up? Like...
0: In, L- in L.A.? Like they, 5 a.m.?
2: 5 a.m.? There's a beach ball guy. I got big beach balls here. Big <laughs> beach balls. Big beach balls for movie scenes that hide your whole body but your legs. That's so I know
0: awesome. that guy. His commercials are crazy. That guy's
2: crazy,
6: yeah. yeah.
2: I'm crazy. All yeah. beach balls must go. <laughs> <laughs> We're marking down the price. <laughs> not, not only do you get a beach ball, you get knives, Ginsu knives, to pop the beach ball. Um, They were like, listen, we can't get a beach ball, but we found a, uh, I'm not kidding, we found a uh, yoga ball store. You know those, like, balls? Yeah, people sometimes sit on at work. Yeah, they go, there's a store that's going to open up in an hour that has big yoga balls. I was like, well, that's going to be weird. Um, We got to write that into the movie. Like, I got to, like, before I do it, I have to have a moment where I go, good thing I brought my yoga ball to the beach. (laughs) Is that in the movie? No. They, 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 even that, they were like, oh, they don't have a big enough one. So basically, what ha- thank God you have, like, very creative people there. And the DP was, like, director of photography. That's for those who don't know DP. Uh, he was like, hey, let's use a surfboard. And you're like, because it's, it's a silly movie. I, was, I, call, I say it's like the Persian Pink Panther meets Borat. It's very silly. So I'm trying to hide at the beach. And instead of having the beach ball, I end up hiding behind, like, a surfboard. It's very cartoony, and uh, that's the best we could do. So if you see the movie, don't judge me, people. It was... (laughs) Let's talk
0: about... We're talking to Maz Jobrani, by the way. His book is I'm Not a Terrorist, but I've played one on TV. Um, You were in a Chuck Norris movie, and as you write in the book, if you're a Middle Eastern guy and you're in a Chuck Norris movie, (laughs) you ain't getting the girl. No.
2: You're dying. Yeah. That's why you're there. Yeah. You know, I've, I've noticed watching those movies, uh, he's, you're never going to be a sidekick. It, it, it's never Chuck and Hassan saving the world. Never <laughs> <laughs> like, Chuck, you get those guys. I get these guys. See you back at the base. Uh, no, not going to happen. So, yeah, I, I talk about it in the, in the book, and um, it's interesting because what happened was I, I had a day job at the time, and I was trying to get out of my day job. So I was like, what you know, and, and I got offered this part to play an Afghan terrorist who's in Chicago, who's going to blow up a building in Chicago. This is before September 11th. So I go, you know what? What I'm going to do, I'm going to take this part because, first of all, it'll help me quit my day job. And secondly, I'm going to show through my acting why this guy's doing what he's doing. I'm going to humanize this character. As, an act, as a thespian, you know, I was trained. Um, <laughs> so,
0: Working with the great Charles Norris. Yes.
2: <laughs> 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 or as the French say, Chuck yeah. Norris. Yeah. Yes, good old shuk. So I go down, I go, they filmed it in Dallas. I went down, you know, this is when he had Walker, Texas Ranger. So I go down to the wardrobe fitting, and they go, okay, here's your shirt, here's your pants, here's your turban. And I was like, no, I'm sorry. Actually, I'm trying to do this right, and I've done my research. Afghans in America do not wear turbans. Uh, and especially Afghans in America who are trying to blow up buildings do not wear <laughs> Unless if you're hiding the bomb under your turban, in which right, case, that's right. a good move. That makes sense. So uh, I go, the, the wardrobe lady, poor girl, like, listen, they want you to wear the, I, the turban. I go, listen, just tell the producers. I've done my research. Let's just change this. And she goes, I'll talk to the producers. We'll see what happens. So next day I show up at my, uh, at my dressing room, and there's my shirt, there's my pants, and there's a scarf. And I was like, ah, I said, see, I asked you to speak. Thank you very much. You talk to them. I will, de- I will gladly wear a scarf, no problem. And she's like, no, that's not a scarf. That's the turban. You just got to wrap it up. <laughs> so I wore the stupid turban, and I got killed in the movie.
0: Now, now that you are Maz Jobrani, filmmaker and uh, stand-up comic author and all of this, if, but you still have a family. Yes. Is, is there a role like that, that that's been offered to you since then that you're like, eh, I'm not going to do that?
2: Well, I actually stopped uh, auditioning for terrorist parts. Oh, that was good. Thank you. <laughs> that, and uh, so I haven't worked in eight years. Um, <laughs> uh, I do a lot of NPR. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well...
0: I mean, do you think there is a day that will ever come where we will not embrace all of these stereotypes so much? For one thing, I mean, we are evolving, uh, apparently, as a as a species of, of humans. Will there be a day when, when if your last name is Jabrani, you will not mostly be submitted for terrorist parts?
2: Um, I think if I continue to make my own movies that day... But I just got to get a better, better props department. Yeah. That's all.
0: That's been holding you back. That surfboard scene did not play.
2: I'm telling you, dude, if I could just get a beach ball, my career will take off. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Yeah. All
0: right. Yeah. Well, we'll look for it. Maz Gibrani, ladies and gentlemen.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Luke.
0: That was Maz Gibrani. His book is I'm Not a Terrorist, but I've played one on TV, and his film is Jimmy Westwood: American Hero. We have reached a very exciting part of the night when we are going to bring back out Jed Arkley and Katie Watkins. If you remember, they are the couple that we sent backstage to ask each other 36 questions that are supposed to lead to true intimacy in one hour or less, or your money back. That last part's not true. Um, these are the questions that this woman, Mandy Lynn Catron wrote about in a New York Times piece, uh, to fall in love with anyone, do this. And also part of the experiment was to stare into each other's eyes for four minutes. So we're going to find out how this all went. (laughs) Katie and Jed, have you set a date? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay.
4: But seriously though, how did it go?
3: It was, it, was, it was great. Pr- it was pretty amazing. It, yeah.
4: Yeah, the, um, the questions got very... Uh, you were identifying a lot about what you liked about the other person in yeah. ways that you might not say immediately, and um, it was pretty wonderful.
3: It's funny. It feels so personal. I feel like I'm not allowed to talk about it now. <laughs> yeah, it feels like
4: we were kind of in this... We had this very special thing, and now yeah. we have to share it with everybody. Everyone. <laughs>
0: Did you guys just fucking fall in love? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I feel I'm so shy right now, I
0: feel.
4: Yeah, we're, we're yeah. blushing a lot, my ears yeah. were burning. Yeah. Yeah.
0: This was not how we were expecting this to go. <laughs> how, how was the, uh, the four minutes of, of staring into each other's eyes? Because I don't think my wife and I have ever done that. Uh,
3: <laughs> I,
4: mean, I, I, I think it, it starts with you, you, you're smiling a lot and you're laughing and then you're not sure where to look. There's a <laughs> lot of w- places to look when you're staring in someone's eyes. You don't realize that. Yeah, like can, which eye, which eye.
3: At. Yeah. But,
4: um, and then I, I don't know after about like a minute and a half, it felt
3: roughly. Yeah. Yeah. We kind
4: of locked in.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, is, is this going to lead to a, a follow-up date?
3: That was one of our we statements, yes. Yeah.
0: We, we
3: st- agree that we, we should both go on an, another on date. date.
4: <laughs> yeah.
0: If you guys... <laughs> uh, if, if you guys get married... And if you if you have a baby, will you consider naming it Livewire?
6: <laughs> I
3: mean,
0: I'm not opposed. Yeah, you're not opposed to anything right now. You're on cloud yeah, nine. Yeah, I know. It... Jed Arkley and Katie Watkins, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> wow. <didn't> so. <laughs> well, this has been a hell of an hour, guys. Welcome home, huh? I Like, my heart is really racing right now. I can't believe it worked, to be honest. It's like witchcraft. I think we just put a series of dating websites out of
2: business. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was... in, In talking about doing that this week and would that work and how great would it be, I started thinking to myself, what if I, Jason Rouse, started carrying around those 36 questions on me at all times and would sort of, like, introduce them into conversations with women. Like, instead of the pub quiz, let I have this game. And, and then I thought maybe I could just get a really good condensed version that I could spring on people, like, on the bus, like, three really good questions because I have a short attention span.
0: Um, Is that what you learned tonight? Was that your takeaway from this... Is that what we're talking about? I mean... Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. I think... I think... It
4: just worked, Luke. I'm going to have love in 36 questions. So, yeah. I'm putting a set together. I'm laminating it. Putting it in the breast pocket. That was... Someone tonight. (laughs) Seat 42. (laughs) That seat's empty. I could actually
0: see it from here. Is that true? Yeah. Well, it'll be easier than I thought. What about you? (laughs) I, um... I did a little quick research, and in case anyone's making a movie on a shoestring budget, uh, I found uh, on Amazon you can get a 12-foot beach ball for $92, and they'll okay. deliver it to, like, they'll deliver it before you thought of ordering Pretty it. Pretty much, though, that's How right. can you lose? So there you go. How can you Love lose? and where to get your beach balls from there you all go. on this episode of LiveWire. Thank you guys very much. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for coming out. Have a great night. We will see you next week. Our thanks to our guests, Maz Jabrani, Lindy West, and Edna Vasquez. This show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, and Ergo Depot. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Courtney Hommeister is head writer and producer. Jim Brunberg is producer and member of our house band, along with Jonathan Newsom and Dave Jorgensen. Jason Rouse is associate producer and part of our writing team, along with Alex Falcone and Sean McGrath. Graham Nystrom is our technical director. House Sound by D. Neil Blake and Lights by Jillian Tabler. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, Meyer Memorial Trust, the Oregon Arts Commission, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Maybell Clark McDonald Fund, the Oregon Community Foundation, Work for Art, the Multnomah County Cultural Coalition, and listeners like you fine people. For more information about the show or becoming a member of LiveWire, visit LiveWireRadio.org. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank, and we'll see you next week.
6: PRI Public Radio International.